0: Hey, welcome back to the Good Line podcast. Today we're picking up with part two of our conversation about contentment in the midst of quarantine. In this episode, we're going to look at what scripture says about contentment, examine what it truly means to find your contentment in Christ alone, and Brian and I are going to share our personal testimonies of how we have both struggled to be content in our current seasons of life and what God has taught us through that process. Brian and I are so excited to share this episode with you, so here it is.
1: So when we're talking about contentment, we can't just remove the idea of feeling like enough. Yeah. You know, that still has to be very much in view, which is why it's so interesting that you're bringing up in so many different areas, you felt like this won't matter. This won't yeah. be significant. This won't do as much as I want it to, which mm-hmm. I have 100% been in the same boat as you. We've been working on the same projects together. And yeah. so it's really easy for us to let doubt be the unspoken thing in the room yeah and we both try to encourage each other and be like no we'll just keep going and then meanwhile we're both kind of thinking but maybe this won't work who knows oh yeah and i feel like for me brian i am
0: not somebody who really exudes confidence i like i don't know how people i don't know how people perceive me that's how I perceive myself, though. I don't see myself as just this, like, everything we do is going to be so amazing, and it's going to change the world, and we can, we can do whatever we want. That's, that's not me. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to question myself even more than I question others. But the interesting thing is, I, so I have friends in ministry who I would say are widely more successful by the world standards than me which is great. God is using them in big ways, but I've been in conversations with them. And without me even bringing this up, they've told me about their own self-doubt and how it looks like they're so confident to everyone else because that's just the way God's kind of built them as they have this charisma. But then privately, they are dealing with the same discouragements, the same frustrations, the same attacks from the enemy that say you're not enough and this will never be enough. And no one is actually really being impacted by it. And to me, that's been a big eye opener that this is really, I think, something that's universal to so many people.
1: Yeah, I think... Some of what we say is to try to communicate what we actually feel and believe. Mm. Most of what we say is to try to convince ourselves of what we wish we believe. Mm. Yeah. And I know for me, I think I'll just use an example. Yeah. I don't know if I've mentioned this before on this show, but... I probably will remember if you have. Okay. So go for it. Okay. In Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, there is an episode where Jerry Seinfeld interviews Steve Martin. And one of the things they talk about is when Steve Martin was doing his stand-up that got really big in the 70s, he decided that his jokes needed to be done with a lot of confidence. (laughs) And so what he decided to do was to fake confidence (laughs) because he felt like it was important to have it in the act. And the two of them are driving along together and Jerry even brings up, but you know that Fake confidence is just as good as real confidence. And Steve Mm. Martin goes, Yeah, I know. (laughs) Like they both are just so mutually assured that, yeah, no one's ever been able to tell if you had real confidence or fake confidence. You just went for it anyway and hoped for the best, despite your feelings of doubts and discontentment and not being sure if this Mm. would actually work out.
2: Mm.
1: So I think a lot of times the people who appear confident are trying to tell themselves i need to be confident right now
0: right Hmm. interesting interesting well i think i think a good place to go from that would be to the place where we can get a lot of confidence which is god and which is jesus as revealed to us in scripture and i think that something that we've talked about in this show is we've had some we've had a few people mention to us like hey i love your show Your theology is on point, but like, why don't you use more scriptures? And sometimes like I would kind of push back on that because I feel like when people feel like there needs to be a verse attached to every single point they make, I don't really necessarily think that's always necessary because for us, we're not just throwing out our opinions. When we're throwing out definitive statements, it's coming from the years and years and years that we've had the word poured into us. And so we're not just throwing out new ideas and random ideas. These are things that are embedded in God's word. But I do think that it'd be great to use more scripture on this show. So this is a good episode to start. Brian, you've compiled some verses about contentment. And so I think let's let him speak to us. What do
1: you got? Yeah, I wanted to look through and see how the Bible has used the word content mm. and how it's been used and how many times it's been used. And one of the interesting things is it doesn't appear a lot in scripture. Mm. So through the Old Testament, the word that normally gets used, that gets translated as content, mm. is I believe it's pronounced avah. Ava. Ava. Mm. Not totally sure. I could be wrong on that. It and sounds about right. The image that comes along with that word is to breathe after mm. or to be acquiescent to something. So think about when you're in a conversation, it's been difficult for your group to come to, to come up with a plan. What restaurant are we going to eat at? Mm. What movie are we going to go see? Things that made a lot more sense in 2019, but as we thought about all these different things to do, and somebody finally says, all right, here's the plan. Here's what we're going to do. And you mm. just sigh, and you're just like, okay, yeah. we'll, we'll do that. Right. That's you part of what... because
0: you know there's a plan. You know that you don't have to worry about it. You're just going
1: to go with yeah, the flow. Mm. The, the tension is gone. Okay. Kind of okay. seems to be what's in view there. So a few examples, well, uh, or before I even get to the examples, I'm sorry. Mm. One of the interesting things about this particular word... Is that it only appears about five times in the Old Testament.
0: Hmm. Interesting.
1: For a book with a lot of words, that's not <laughs> a lot of appearances. Right. So Okay. So what's look, what's the first one? Yeah, to look at a couple of them. One is in Exodus chapter two. This okay. is when Moses is meeting the family of his would-be wife right. and deciding an to stay with them and settling into that kind of experience out in the wilderness for a while it says that Moses agreed or was Mm. content Mm. to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage okay it's not it it almost looks like it's not what he really wanted to do right but it's what was needed in the moment and so Mm. he rested and gave himself over to that plan and then in Joshua 7 7
0: after the defeat of the city of Ai Joshua says, Alas, Sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us if only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan?
1: Hmm. Yeah, so here it's it's being used in a way where we shouldn't agree with the conclusion. These people should not have been content hmm. to stay on the other side of the Jordan. They should have pressed into all that God hmm. had for them and all that God wanted to settle them into. Right. But hmm. their thinking okay. is, if only we had just rested on the other side of the Jordan, if only we had taken a breath and been willing to stay in this okay. not perfect situation, but the situation that would have been enough for us, why wouldn't we have just been okay with right. this as being enough? Okay, so that's an
0: idea, the idea of rest. And then are there any other
1: ideas? Well, what's interesting is the more highly emphasized idea through the Old Testament is not so much you need to be content. Hmm. The idea seems to show up more that God will provide. Like God will provide your contentment or God will provide what you need so then you can be content. Just the image generally of God as provider. He seems Hmm. to provide a whole bunch of different things through the Old Testament. I did a quick search where I looked for verses that had the word God. Mm. And then also contained either the word provide Mm. or supply or satisfy.
2: Mm. Okay.
1: And there are over a hundred verses that hit that category. Mm. Wow. Now, some of them, it just happens to be that the idea of providing is being done by something or someone Mm. different than God. So sometimes just the words happen to show up. But there's a few in particular that really point to what we should see of God Hmm. is he is the one who provides for us, he's the one who supplies for us, and he's hmm. the one who satisfies our needs. This so seems would, to be the more emphasized point instead of just... So think back to what we talked about. Right. Normally when we talk about contentment, we just say, come on, of course you should be content. What's wrong with you? Right. That doesn't seem to be where God brings his people, particularly in the Old Testament. He doesn't right. seem to just say... Look at all I've done for you. Of course, you should be content. Instead, he says, let me remind you that I am your provider. I'm the one who supplies your needs. I'm the one who satisfies you. And then he, from that backdrop, asks us lovingly and not often to be content Mm. in him. Because all throughout the Old Testament, we're
0: seeing the lack of the characters. Like Adam and Eve, God provides this garden for them and he gives them everything they need, they break it, they break the world, they condemn the world through sin, and then God provides for them the covering. He provides for them you know, the animal skins to cover their nakedness. And then not only that, he provides for them this plan where one day he's gonna send Jesus the snake crusher to come in and redeem them. And then later on, we see that provision continue with, with Abraham in that classic story in Genesis 22, where he's taking Isaac up the mountain and there's no sacrifice. And, and, and it's this knowledge of, well, hey, God is going to provide. And he ends up providing. Um, Isaac is not sacrificed. God provides a, a goat, I think, or something like that. Yeah. Or a lamb, a lamb.
1: And that seems to be the continual pattern. Whenever mm. someone is walking with god in faithfulness Mm -hmm. god is faithful to them to provide so that story you just mentioned of abraham preparing to sacrifice isaac the sentence that he shares with isaac in genesis 22 verse 8 this is right after isaac says hey dad we seem to have a lot of sacrifice stuff (laughs) without anything to sacrifice what's going on and Abraham says, my son, God will provide for himself the <laughs> lamb for a burnt offering.
0: Right. By the way, if I'm Isaac after that incident, I'm never going on a camping trip with dad again. No, never. No, never. Absolutely. But no, I, I get the idea that you're you're going for that that provision. And I think, too, the interesting thing is it kind of ties in with that idea of covenant. Mm-hmm. Because the interesting thing and the amazingly beautiful thing about God is... If we obey Him, if we listen to Him, if we submit to Him, He is going to provide for us what we need. But then even on top of that, sometimes we don't hold up our end of the bargain. Sometimes we sin, sometimes we disobey God, and yet we still see His provision in our life. Not that He's rewarding bad behavior. He lets consequences come into our life. But then he provides mercy, a way of escape, a way of repentance. And there's been times in my life where I know I've been doing the wrong thing and God was still providing me in certain ways. And I just, I look at that as so much mercy and, and grace on his part that, uh, of his provision.
1: Yeah. One of the verses that I wanted to bring up is Job twelve six when they're mm. talking about the wicked prospering and all that. Mm. And that verse says the tents of robbers prosper and those who provoke God are secure in what God provides by his hand. It's it's crazy to
0: think of that, that there's people out there right now that are mocking God, um, people who are against God, and yet his love extends even to protect them from the fullness of the consequences of their actions, preventing them from being fully absorbed and destroyed by that, because we know that there's people that God is pursuing, like he's going after them. He wants to rescue them, even though they're enemies of him. And so he's constantly providing for them, even in the midst of their rebellion. That's just, that's so cool. Like I
1: get excited about that. And even thinking the stuff that they're taking is God's stuff. Mm. The part of the idea is the world is God's stuff. Mm. You know, so if you're going to be a member of these tents of the robbers, Anything that you're taking, you're not just taking from other people, you're trying to take from God himself. And what we find is that when we try to take from God, he has so much more Mm. than we could ever imagine. He is just abundant in the way that he loves to provide for people. Can I put another verse out for you?
0: Yeah, go for it.
1: In Psalm 36, it says in verse verse seven, seven. yeah, Mm. it says, how precious is your loving kindness, O God? Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. Mm. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, Mm. and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.
0: That's really good. Like that, to me, that gives me the illustration of contentment as something where it's like that feeling after a really good meal where you know maybe not you're not you're not stuffing yourself in an unhealthy way but just a really good meal that's full and filling and at the end of that meal you're not sitting there going i'm still hungry i still need more you're like i'm good like i can go take a nap i can go watch some tv like i feel so just at rest and contented right now and i think that is what god is looking for in us is he wants he, he is constantly providing what we need, but we're oftentimes we're not receiving it. And it's like, oh, man, this is such a classic. This is going to be kind of corny, but it's a classic Chuck Smith, Calvary Chapel line where he says, you know, we want to put ourselves under the spout where the blessings come out. I know so in my good. life so good. Yeah. And and in my life, there's been so many times where it's like, it's like that spout is over here and it's pouring and God's like, just stand underneath it. And I'm like, but I want to stand over here where I'm trying really hard to make my life perfect on my own. Why don't I feel content? And It's like God wants us to feel full of him. He wants us to feel content where we can sit back and say, yeah, I'm working hard. Yeah, I'm being creative. Yeah, I'm trying things and I'm trying new things and innovating and and trying to reach people and help people. But at the end of the day, I can sit back and just be like, God's got it. Like if I put out a podcast... The people that need to hear it, God is going to guide them to it. And maybe if I promote it a little bit, that might help, whatever. But at the end of the day, I need to not be uncontent. I need to just sit back and be like, God, I did a good job for you today. And that's enough for me to know that you're proud of me and that you love me. And yeah, those are the things that are going through my head.
1: Yeah. And that's what I love about using the verses that have the word satisfied in them. Because a lot of mm. times we think contentment is being happy in lack. mm Whereas it seems like the biblical picture is redefining what you think lack actually is, because Mm. God is the kind of provider where his people don't lack. Mm. We just think we do because we've defined enough based on what we see people in the world telling us enough is. Can I,
0: can I give like kind of a devil's advocate pushback on that? Sure. So pastorally, If you're trying to help somebody understand that idea that God really does provide, and you're somebody who, you know, you have a job, you have a paycheck coming in, but you're talking to somebody during COVID-19 who is jobless and does not know how they're going to feed their family, like, is it hard to say hey god provides it's it's going to be okay when you're kind of in a better spot than them at that moment like w- what's the balance with that how do we help people understand where they're really genuinely struggling with their lack of need in a certain area
1: yeah that's that is a tough situation and it's hard to just look at that person and say don't worry god's got it yeah we know that's the right answer right But there also has to be compassion for the situation so my hope is that if anyone if you're listening to this and you're in the boat where your job has been terminated or you've been kind of told you're not going to be working for a while i hope that this doesn't sound like i'm just saying get over it because that's not Mm. what i think god would say to you in this particular moment i think he'd hear out your struggle he'd let you Mm. share what's going on in your heart But I also think that there's then the important reminder that it's easy to think because I work the job, that means I provide for myself Mm. instead of thinking, God, you provided the job. Yeah. You gave me the ability to do this particular task. You gave me the opportunity to do it with this particular company. And I trust that even though your provision is going to be different now, yeah. it's still gonna be your provision. Can I can I give a personal example of that? Yeah. So I think one of the biggest
0: lies we can believe is that we are self-made men. I think there's no such thing as a self-made man. I, I think that God is the one who puts abilities in us, gives us the, the talents, all that stuff is God-given and so he can give it and he can take it away and he can make it effective or he can you know hold back that effectiveness and i i experienced something um last year so i was out here in oklahoma my heart being out here is ministry i came out here and i started doing free websites for missionaries and church planners through my nonprofit i started said creative i was doing good lion all this ministry stuff is my priority But I still got to feed my wife and me. I still got to make an income. So I've been freelancing and doing web design on the side. And I hit this point where basically it was like, good line was going really strong. Everything was going really well. But because of that, I kind of took a hit financially. And I was kind of hitting the danger zone with that. And I started to kind of panic and freak out. And I realized like, I need to really try hard to make some money to get back in the zone financially. And so my thought was I am a good designer. I know I can do a good job. My websites are top notch. Like I am good at this. And I started to think like, man, like my skills have gotten better even in the last couple of years being out here. And if I just like put my head down and promote myself and, and do marketing campaigns, I was talking to some of my friends and saying, hey, be my sales guys and um, call places and, and market me out there. And, and basically for two weeks, I was in desperation mode because I was literally running out of money and I was literally every day just spending the entire day working overtime, sweating, trying to get clients, trying to get jobs. And during that whole time, my mindset was just like, I'm good at this. This should be working. Why is it not working? What, what is going on? And I was getting very grumpy and cranky. And my wife after those two weeks was kind of like, Hey, have you prayed? And I just was like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) and honestly, I like in if this, this is going to sound terrible, but hopefully I'm just being really honest and transparent in hopes that somebody out there can relate. Yeah. I'd prayed a little bit here and there, but I hadn't really spent any intentional time with God in those two weeks. I was just so in desperation mode. I was just striving in my own efforts, trying to get clients. And my wife was like, you need to pray. And I was like, I don't want to. I want to work. I want to make this happen. I think if I just give it another day, I can make this happen. And she was like, go outside and pray. Like she kicked me out of the house for the day, basically for a couple hours. And so I went out for a walk and I finally prayed and I was like, God, I stink. (laughs) I'm the worst. I can't do this. I've been hyping myself up in my own mind saying I can do this. I can get clients. I can make this work. But in reality, I'm seeing that I am nothing without you. I've always been nothing without you. That's a lesson he's taught me over and over again over the years. And I keep having to come back to it. And I kind of just like, I was walking by this field in my house, just praying and I laid it all out and was like, God, I'm not expecting you to fix my problem and make it go away, but I need your help and I can't do it without you. Please help. And I didn't feel anything like I didn't feel like this magical feeling that everything was going to be OK. But I, I did feel some contentment knowing that God had heard me and that he was with me and I could count on that. The next day I wake up and I have a text from a pastor who I haven't talked to in years. Who's just like, hey, I heard you do websites. Can you do one for us? I can pay you basically right away to get it going. And I was just like, God is cool. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and I, I'm not saying he's a genie. And if you rub the bottle the right way, then Definitely. all your problems go away. That's not what I'm saying. I don't look at that as like, oh, that was my reward for being spiritual. I look at that as God heard my cry and he showed up and, and he saw my brokenness and my inability to fix that on my own. And it wasn't a job that, you know, made me rich or anything, but it got me through that month. And that's been the pattern since then of just continuing to go back to God and say, I can't do this on my own. Please help me. But yeah, anyway, all that to say, all that to say.
1: (laughs) No, that's huge. That's, I think it's a story a lot of people can relate to. I know that it's a story that I relate to. I know that Mm. when things really go wrong, I trust myself. And I, Mm. I grew up with parents that instilled a good work ethic Into me and my brother, and I'm grateful for that. I don't bemoan them of that. I'm so thankful that that's something that they did. And in my own sinfulness, I can easily turn that into work is how I fix stuff. Yeah, totally. And there is an element that we'll get to a little later in the episode where work is valuable and is important and does still matter to God. And we've got to be careful with that to not Mm. go too far the other way. But God never says you need to be your own provider. He always says, I am your provider.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that it'd be good to switch over really quick to the New Testament and give some verses from that. Because I think, I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel like sometimes with the Old Testament, you're getting more very kind of rough concepts. And then when Mm -hmm. you get to New Testament passages, it's like those concepts then become fleshed out theology with the way that the epistle writers work and and the way that Jesus teaches. So um, hit us with what the New Testament has to say with contentment.
1: There's one main section that I want to go to to talk about the New Testament's conception of what contentment is all about. It's in 1 Timothy 6, and I'm going to read verses 6 through 10 to give Mm. us a little bit of context for this conversation. So verse 6 says, but godliness with contentment is great gain, Mm. for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Mm. Tell me how you really feel, Paul. (laughs) Verse 10, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So true. This is not a delicate passage. No on how we should view money or view growth or gain yeah, in the, any way. the lack
0: of contentment and the need and want constantly for more, whether it be money or fame or
1: whatever. Yeah, it, it's very clear. It plunges people into ruin and destruction. That's crazy to think about how clear wow. Paul is being here in this letter. The word that gets used for contentment at least in verse six let's look at that first so verse six was just godliness with contentment is great gain Mm. that word is a greek word that i'm gonna try to pronounce and i'm gonna get it wrong but i'm gonna try (laughs) i believe it's autarkia i think that's how it is i was gonna say autarkia that might be more accurate autarkia i don't know something like that it's no i feel like the kia at the end is more greek I I said it more
0: more of a Western way of saying it. So anyway. Either way,
1: that's a Greek word. (laughs) And it's the word used there for contentment in verse six. Mm. And the definition I was able to get for it is a frame of mind of viewing one's lot as sufficient.
2: Mm. Okay. Mm.
1: So for this particular passage, the idea is viewing what you have as enough. Yeah. Yeah. And that's very starkly contrasted to verses 9 and 10 of the temptation or not even the temptation, the, the desire for more yeah, leads to temptation and leads to harmful desires and foolish traps and it plunges you into destruction. And mm. Jesus trying to save us from that gives us this idea, be content, view yeah. what you have as enough. Consider what I've given you as sufficient. Yeah, absolutely. I I feel
0: like I've been trying the last few years to really hone into this idea of finding satisfaction in Christ alone, like to be able to actually really truly say Jesus is enough. Because in my head, I know he's enough. In my heart, I know he's enough. But then I have... Just the enemy constantly whispering in my ear saying that it's not enough and you need to do more and be more. I feel like I'm always finding a reason to be unsatisfied. You know, I I think things like if I could just get my weight down to this number on the scale or if I could just find a way to achieve perfect financial security so I could just do ministry and not have to worry about my finances or you know the hopes and dreams my wife have for the future. If we could just make these things happen or, or grow the ministry stuff to something that looks successful to others and gives me that validation instead of having to wonder if it's making an impact or, uh, or any of that stuff. And, and what I've learned is there's always something that's going to be wrong in life. There's always going to be something that we don't have satisfaction in. But Jesus is the only one who is like, he's that perfect savior, perfect friend. He's always there. And he's built you and I and and the listeners. He's built all of us for relationship with him. That's literally the air we've been meant to breathe. But so often we're not breathing that. So often we are just discontent because we are seeking validation and satisfaction in other things. Like an illustration that comes to mind is, I saw this in a video called Falling Plates years ago, really great youth ministry Mm -hmm. video. I remember that. Yeah, really good. And there's a shot of the narrator is talking about you give yourself to all these things, thinking you'll find meaning, but in in them you actually are, are losing life. And there's this shot of a computer that's plugged a laptop that's plugged into a power source and then the power source gets unplugged and it's got all these USB ports and all of a sudden all these different devices and things are being plugged into the laptop. And the reality is, if that laptop is disconnected from the power source and you start plugging in microphones and video game controllers and just all of these different things, what's gonna happen is that laptop is gonna drain and die much faster. And that's, dude, I just think that's such a good illustration. In my life, when I'm not plugged into the power source of Jesus as my main source of power, but I'm trying to do everything else, it's just draining and feels like the worst.
1: And I love even you kept using the word satisfied. Mm. And what's so interesting to me about that illustration and what's so true when we bring it into the real world is we plug ourselves into all of these things thinking that they will become the source of satisfaction. Mm. when really they become part of the problem. They become part of what drains life rather than what gives life. And I love that you're using the word satisfied because if we go back to 1 Timothy 6 in verse 8 when it says, with food and clothing we will be content, Mm. it's a different word for content. Mm. It's not the same Greek word that gets used in verse 6. It's a different version of it. And it hits at the idea of not just viewing your lot in life as sufficient, Mm. but rather being satisfied with what you have. And I feel like that's a step to a different level. Mm, Just being able to say, okay, what I have is enough. Yeah. That's one thing. But to be able to say, I'm really satisfied with what I have. It's sort of like the difference between I'm not in trouble and I'm actually happy. Yeah. Seems to Mm. be happening in those two words. You know, Mm. godliness with this ability to not strive after what else is out there, that's great gain. Yeah. But then there is also the level of, if we have food and clothing with that, we'll be satisfied and we'll be genuinely happy with the lot yeah. that we've been given from God. Totally. So I think we've been going
0: for a while. We should wrap this episode up. And by, I think a good place to go would be, let's just talk about our stories and just get kind of candid and real with the listeners about just our very personal struggle with contentment over the last couple. Does that sound good?
1: Yeah. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first?
0: I can go first. So here, when I was telling my story, I mentioned how I reached a point where I felt very content. It was a point in my life where, uh, you know, my marriage was going great. The ministry was just awesome. I was the youth pastor at Calvary Chapel Vista and I loved my kids. I was with a group of kids that they started in uh, middle school and I moved up to high school with them. So I was with them from sixth grade to graduation. Plus, the volunteers in my group were all people that were students when I first started volunteering. So it was this huge kind of circle of life thing that was very cool. And, you know, the group fluctuated between 20 and 50 people, depending on what time of the year it was or whether camp was happening. But I just I had reached this point where none of that mattered. And it was just like, I love these kids. I love these people. This is what I'm called to do. I woke up every day for work thinking I love this. I can't wait to go to the office. I'm I, I'm so content to just do what God has called me to do and preach to these guys and disciple them and build community groups and all that stuff. And and even with money, I had reached a point where I, I mean I wasn't making a ton as a youth pastor but I had a roof over my head. God had provided this awesome little place for us to live. We did backyard Bible studies with the kids at our house every Wednesday. And so for me, I was kind of living in my dream job situation. And there were things that I could have chosen to be discontented about, but I had reached a point where I felt very good about everything. And I was choosing to just every day and week be like, God, you've got this. I trust you. I feel very fulfilled in who I am. And then God said it's time to move on it's time to move and go somewhere else go on the mission field and so i had thought it was going to be ireland all signs had led to ireland i had received what i thought were you know visions and signs about ireland my wife and i went there for two months we lived there it was epic we got this vision for what god was going to do there and we I felt like I was going to head into a season of even greater contentment because there was an opening to teach at the Bible college in Ireland, which was something that's always been a dream of mine to, to teach at a Bible college. And I just had all of this hope and desire built up towards that. And then God, after a week of prayer and fasting, he said, Hey, hold, hold on. Don't go to Ireland, go to Oklahoma. And it was something that I became convicted by God that it was actually what my wife really needed. She had spent, 10 years in california with me and my family and she really hadn't seen her family much in the last 10 years and to take her directly from 10 years of hardcore just youth ministry lifestyle at a big church onto the mission field in ireland god convicted me like that is not what she needs right now and my whole thing was like god i want to obey you i want to trust you but i have no opportunities in Oklahoma. There's no job openings. There's no churches out there that know really anything about Calvary or that can hire me. What am I going to do? Like, how am I going to live? I don't, I didn't go to college. How am I going to have a career? What, like, how is that going to even work? And God just kept telling me, trust me. And I came out here and it's, it's been crazy because man, God has provided every step of the way. Like he's, he's led me to jobs to do. He's led me to ministry. Good lion came out of this whole thing. Like what we're doing right now was spawned from just what God was doing in our hearts through that season. And, but the thing is I've struggled with contentment so much. I can tell you when I came out to Oklahoma, the biggest struggle I had was, we've talked about this. You're an Enneagram three. I'm an Enneagram two for twos. The biggest thing is this need to be needed. You want to help people. You want to feel like you're helping people. You want to feel like you're making an impact. And for me, I did not realize how dependent I had become on being people's youth pastor. It was almost like I, I, it wasn't like I was doing it for wrong reasons, my heart was fully in it, but I didn't realize I had developed a dependency where the way that I felt valuable as a human was if I was being a good pastor to people and if I was helping them through their problems. And I came out to Oklahoma and I started going around to some churches in the area and just kind of letting people know my background and here's what I did for a living. And I'd love to help in some way. And I kept telling I kept getting told by people, we actually don't need you. You're fine. Just hang out. Just come to church. Like we don't really care about your background or experience. Just, just, just hang out. And it crushed me in the beginning. Like I felt so unnecessary, so unneeded, and literally so uncontent. And um, just like, what is my purpose in life? If I'm not a youth pastor, who am I? What am I supposed to do? And I'll, there's so much more I could say about this, but I will summarize the way God spoke to me this way. Early on, I started reading a book by a guy named Sky Jatani that's just called With... And it was exactly what I needed in the moment because it was talking about how so often we live our lives where it's like we're trying to live for God. Like I've got to do things for him to make him happy. Or we're living our lives under God where it's like if I obey him and keep his commandments, then everything's going to be okay. But really, we're called to live life with God. Like you you and I are not called to to live our lives for God where it's just like, man, if, if I just serve him, that'll make him happy and everything will be okay. We're called to walk alongside him, spend time with him, learn from him, rest in him, be content in him. And then the stuff that we do is supposed to flow out of that. That's the outflow. And that was just revolutionary for me. It it, it changed my perspective. It helped me. I started to just go on walks and spend time with Jesus. And slowly but surely God led me to things to do. And I stopped striving. Like I was at a community group in my church and my tendency was to want to try to put myself in some sort of leadership position because that's just all I've ever known is leading. It, it was hard at first to 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 just be there and exist and not be leading. And God said, that's what you need to do. Like, just, just show up to this community group and stop telling everyone how you used to be a pastor and just be their friend and just pray for them and love on them. And it was so cool to see that over time, people started coming to me and my wife and allowing us to play that sort of pastoral role in their life, but we weren't forcing it. It was just it was naturally happening by us just loving them and them loving us. And uh, so there was that, there was good line, God provided that, and, and, and that opportunity to reach people, which has exceeded my expectations. It, it's been so cool to know that we've been able to help people through this. And, you know, for me, I'm just continuing to learn what it means to say, even though this is my vision, and this is what I want to be doing, and, and I want to be teaching here and doing this and doing ministry this way, God keeps showing me it's not about what you want. It's about what I want. And every time he's shown me that being content with what he wants brings me so much more satisfaction in my life. That's my nutshell of what's been going on with me. What about you, man?
1: That's so good. Yeah, for me, I definitely had a groove where I was content for a while. I was Mm. in a very similar boat leading youth ministry, living really close to the church. Awesome wife. She's still awesome. She's still my wife. My wife is still
0: awesome too. I just want to add, I I mentioned that my marriage was going great. It's still going great.
1: Yeah, still good. So everything was good, settled, great life with family, great Mm. life overall. And we felt like God said, Hey, get ready to move. And Mm. for a while, for over a year, closer to two years, it seemed like the place that God was moving us to was Portland, Oregon. Mm -hmm. and there was a church up there that was running a church planting program, and we were going to go be part of it, and we were going to help out with the young adults ministry, and it seemed like it was a step forward. Mm. That's how I can kind of look back on it now. It seemed like God is now moving things around so that we can take the next step in career advancement, for lack of a better term. That's what it kind of felt like and we had spent a long time talking with the people at this church praying about it we had visited them multiple times and the week before we were going to move out there and this was after we had quit our jobs we had signed a lease on an apartment in oregon the week before we were going to head out everything fell through yeah and the jobs weren't there and the opportunity wasn't there And it felt like being launched into this no man's land and being in this weird void of, but God, all I've ever done is minister. And now I don't have any ministry to do Mm. and what's going on. And I thought this was lining up to be a step forward. Now it feels like a massive step backward. Mm. And it was really easy to doubt. And then within a week, God opened up the opportunity that, we ended up accepting. And now I'm here working at Calvary Bible College and mm. God's doing really cool stuff. But I remember when I first got here, the work was so different yeah. from what I had been doing.
0: That it was went, from youth ministry to admissions, which yes. is like so different.
1: Yeah, I went from a job that is notorious for being bad at administration <laughs> to being a college administrator. Yeah. that was That was the jump that I made. <laughs> and... I just kept thinking and wondering, Lord, how is this going to turn into me moving forward? Mm. I remember that was my question for a while, for about six Mm. months. Mm. That's what I was thinking. And then as our fall semester started wrapping up, so this is around December, one of the things I remember the Lord very clearly putting on my heart was there was a moment where a bunch of the students were together and there was a lot of students who had been part of our home group who had been... Part of our life, like Tori and I just really tried to invest in the students and just spent mm-hmm. time with them. And there was a group of them that we had spent a bunch of time with, and they were all kind of gathered together. And I remember God saying, That's why you're here. Yeah. You're here for them. Yeah. And the Lord kind of used that moment to pull me out of my thinking. My thinking yeah. had been, How is this place going to serve me? Mm. How is my next opportunity? going to put me one step closer to greatness was really what I was thinking. Mm. And God had to use this strange series of events, this rapid shift, this movement into a new field, Mm. not to say, Hey, I want you to know you're not that great, (laughs) but to say instead, nothing you do was supposed to be about you anyway. Yeah. Mm. So the Lord's had to bring me back to this place of, if what I'm, it's so ironic to think about greatness in ministry. Yeah. Because ministry is all about being helpful to another. Yeah. And what the Lord's had to keep bringing me back to is kind of, you had that lesson that you need to keep learning of, Mm. I'm nothing without you, God. Yeah. And I need, you need to keep coming back to that. I need to keep coming back to ministry isn't supposed to be about me. Yeah. It's not supposed to be about my growth, my career, whatever even a ministry career is, like who knows? (laughs) Like, It's not supposed to be about any of those things. It's supposed to be about am I just doing the stuff that God's putting in front of me today? And so I've had wavering feelings about being content with what's being put in front of me Mm. today, but God continues to bring me back to he's the one that put it there. And so I need to keep coming back to godliness with contentment is great gain and Mm. he has been really good to provide food and clothing for me and so with these things i need to be content dude so good and i think it's
0: crazy to me that god brought you and i together at the time that he did because we both have been going through this at basically the same time Mm -hmm. and i i feel like it's shaped our perspective so much and our philosophy of ministry so much. And it's been good to kind of do the whole iron sharpen iron thing together where we can just remind each other, like, it's not about us. It's not about success. You know, I think this is a lesson that we needed to go through. And I think that absolutely one that I still need to go through. You know, if I'm honest, like I, you know, to circle back to a part of my story, if I'm just being really honest and transparent, I had reached a point in my career at Calvary Vista where I started to really, I started to really believe that I was a good teacher and I don't, I hope this doesn't sound like egotistical. I, I'm, I'm, it's coming more from a place for me of where I was like, this is my craft and this is what I love to do. I love preaching and I had started in youth group, but I had become a part of the preaching team at Calvary Vista preaching to the adults as well. And I'd get feedback from people about how much they enjoyed the services. And so I had reached this point where I was like, man, like I I love to preach and I feel like this is my thing. And, and it was it was becoming an identity where I was like feeling like this is what is gonna happen with me is I am gonna just keep preaching and that's gonna be what I focus on. And then God sent me to Oklahoma and I was like, So does anybody want me to preach? And everyone's like, No, you're good. You're fine. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't, we don't need that. We have plenty of preachers. And that was soul crushing at the time. And that has been, that has been hard, but it's been so cool to see God's faithfulness because when my perspective changed from, I feel like I'm good at preaching and where's the opportunities, like open up the doors. And when it became more like, God, this is a part of me. I love doing this. If I can't do this, so be it. If that's your will, so be it. But I would love the opportunity if you have any opportunities, please open up the doors. And and to see him respond to that prayer and open up opportunities. You know, there there was a little group at a Calvary Chapel out here that was in need of someone to kind of pour into the young adults. And so for a year on Thursday nights, I would start doing a little coffee shop Bible study for them. And there was one time where, you know, it, it was a group of about 10 people and it would fluctuate. Some weeks there'd be three Some weeks there'd be 10, there was one week where there was 20, and I thought, it's growing, it's happening. Mm -hmm. The next week, no one showed up. And I literally drove home in tears. And it's kind of embarrassing to admit, but I was just, it was a very low point for me where it was like, God, what are you doing? But this has been such a good lesson to learn, that it's not about me, it's not about you, it's not about our preaching, it's not about our abilities. I love what Eugene Peterson says, faithfulness and obedience to God is just, it's, it's faithful, it's long obedience in the same direction. That's what success in ministry looks like. Long obedience in the same direction. Are we doing what God has called us to do, whether he's made our platform this big or this big? Does he want us to spend our life reaching a thousand people, a million people, or are there 10 people he wants us to give our lives to? And it are we willing to die? That's been the stuff I've been wrestling with. And it's been good for my soul, man,
1: honestly. That's so good. And all that centers around finding true contentment and not just saying I should be happy because I've got different stuff, but I should be happy because this is the stuff God has provided for me. Mm. And I think one of the real dangers of discontentment is it teaches you to question whether or not god is good at his job yeah discontentment makes you wonder is god really good at providing because if he was he'd do xyz and contentment is just learning to come back to god is a really good provider he doesn't always give me what i want but he always gives me what i need Mm. and he has a better view of what i need than i could ever have
0: amen amen dude